Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Balog. Let's get started. In today's study, we will be going over a variety of scriptures. And though they are scattered throughout the Bible, they are all directly connected according to God's purpose. One verse builds upon the other in order to reveal an important truth. We like to call this a spiritual equation. So join us now as we listen to the Word of God. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10 9. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Ephesians 4, 30. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 Not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter Matthew 7:21 So today's lesson is called a spiritual equation and that equation goes Romans 10:9 plus Ephesians 4.30, plus 1 Corinthians 12.3, equals Matthew 7.21. Okay, so before attempting to interpret these scriptures, we always use the SPACE method to get our bearings. SPACE is just an acronym we created to remind us to consider the speaker, SP, the audience, A, and the context, C, before attempting the explanation, E. So Jordan, let's use the SPACE method here. Okay, Andy, the speaker in the first three verses is the Apostle Paul, by influence of the Holy Spirit, of course. And Paul introduces himself as the author in the beginning of all three letters. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all scripture are inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And what I mean in reading that is, again, it's uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it's Paul introducing himself as the author. Right, even though Paul was the writer. It's still necessarily here for our lesson. We need to also believe and always have faith that everything written in the Bible that we read today was 100%, not by man, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. Right. 
And then the speaker in the fourth verse is, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ, as quoted by Matthew. If you have one of those red-letter Bibles, you'll see that. You'll notice these words are in red, which indicate they were spoken by our Lord. And, um, you know, they were spoken during his famous Sermon on the Mount, which we'll discuss as the key to this later. Sure. So now we move on to the audience. And in the first three verses, in Romans, Ephesians, and Corinthians, the churches respectively, the audience was these churches directly that Paul spoke to. He wrote these letters to. So a couple key points during Paul's introduction of these letters. Again, he specifically calls out the churches by name. So we know that it, we do have the right audience here. And also these letters are part of what's called by biblical historians today as the Pauline epistles. And they are famous for addressing the saints, people already saved by grace, which is us today, to continue to live faithfully and righteously with the forward view of greater things to come. Yeah, interpretively, it's important to remember these things, particularly that these were encyclicals, which meant that they were spread, they went to one particular church, but then were also spread to other churches, sort of circulating, that's what it means. Exactly, exactly. So, so Paul wrote to many different churches when he wrote these letters, and, and also, of course, everything in the Bible was written for us today, upon whom the end of the ages have come. Amen. So the audience in the fourth verse, Jordan, are the disciples who have faithfully followed Jesus Christ up onto the mount to hear the deeper, more mature teachings, right? Key point, key point. So in Matthew 5, 1 to 2, it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them. Again, a key point to remember there to notice is that it's his disciples that went, you know, made the effort to climb up to the top of the mountain and sit down and listen to Jesus further beyond what he was teaching the crowds. And an interesting fact is later in Matthew 13, we read how the disciples go on to ask Jesus why he's speaking to the crowds in parables. And Jesus answered them by saying, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. So we'll discuss that later on, that specific verse later on in our lesson. Okay. As for the context, that's what makes our study today so interesting. Let's examine some key words in each verse. For example, Romans 10.9. In this verse, Paul is telling the Romans that there are two parts to salvation. One is confession of one's belief in Jesus Christ as their Lord. The other is believing that God, his Father, raised him from the dead. The context of this verse is in a chapter where Paul is defending the truth that the Old Testament ways of maintaining the laws were now obsolete, since Jesus had paid for it all on the cross, and that his Father approved of this sacrifice, his sacrifice, and raised him from the dead as a sign of this approval. In contrast, a Christian is called to believe and share the gospel of grace. The key here is to know what type of salvation Paul is speaking of. Correct. So moving on to Ephesians 4.30, in this verse, Paul is describing a key attribute of the Holy Spirit that is essential in understanding pure, foundational Christian doctrine. And that is that the Holy Spirit is sealed within Christians. That's a very key point to remember. Um, and then one more I'll talk about is 1 Corinthians 12.3. In this verse, you know, we will we'll focus on the second part here in this verse where Paul tells the Corinthian church that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So in other words, the Holy Spirit, which is gifted to a Christian believer as per Romans 10.9, is then sealed by the Holy Spirit as per Ephesians 4.30 before that person can actually say the words, Jesus is Lord as per 1 Corinthians 12.3. I know it sounds a little confusing, but that's, that's the point of this equation, is that in order to get verse to verse to verse, you've got to follow it in order. Right, putting Scripture together, which is an important thing to do. And that, of course, brings us to the equals, which is Matthew 
This is the summary verse from the prior verses we're studying today. The key words, which might throw you off a little bit and confuse you, are when Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. So we see here that Jesus cannot be speaking of salvation, that is salvation from hell or salvation into everlasting life. There's a condition which would seem to contradict, you know, passages like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which teach salvation is not by works. Therefore, this question comes up, what can Jesus be speaking about? And that's sort of what we're going to focus on. Exactly. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to attempt this explanation now that we know who the speaker, the audience, and the context of our scriptures are. In order to do that, Jordan, there are five keys to unlocking these scriptures. Key number one, and I titled this, you know, uh, I I guess you could say belief and confessing it equals salvation, right? So believing in what Jesus did and confessing it equals your salvation. Key number two to remember is that the Holy Spirit is sealed in the believer. Key number three, only believers can confess Jesus as Lord. Key number four, salvation into heaven is free and lasts forever. And then key five is entrance into the kingdom of heaven is different and must be earned. Yeah, great key. So let's go over them one by one, starting with your key number one, you know, believing and confessing equals salvation. So, you know, salvation means to be saved from death. And, um, you know, we can sort of discuss what the typology of Moses and Israel during the Passover, that's significant. So maybe you can go into a little bit about that, that story and how it, how it typified or symbolized what we're talking about here. Sure. So I'm, I'm sure many of our listeners today know the story of Moses, especially if they come from a, a Jewish background, because Jews, you know, obviously they, they read and study this till today. And what most people don't know is that it's actually a very important type of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. So back in the day, during Israel's time, Israel was obviously in captivity under Egyptian rule. We had the Pharaoh there that was, you know, straining them to the max, making them build, uh, you know, pyramids and so on and so forth for him. And obviously at the time, Moses was sent by God saying, listen, go and free my people. Just follow what I say and, you know, and do it. So obviously Moses gave them signs and wonders to kind of lead them to finally just, you know, allow them to leave and show them that these are God's people. Leave them alone. Let them be. So finally, one of the most important miracles that he does is is God tells him, look, take a sacrificial lamb, you know, befriend it, sacrifice it, take the blood of the lamb, and kind of paint it over the post of your home, the doorpost of your home. Because tonight, God is saying, I'm going to send the spirit of death throughout Egypt. And anyone who does not have the blood of that lamb over their doorpost, the eldest son in that home is going to die. So obviously, anyone who was uh, a Jew or a follower of Moses followed these instructions. They prepared the lamb, they roasted it, they took its blood, they put it over the doorpost. Obviously, the Egyptians and possibly any other Jew who wasn't obedient to Moses, who was speaking for God, that night, the spirit of death passed over, and um, you know those who had the blood survived, but those who did not have the blood, the firstborn child had died. Yeah, you mentioned that um, that you know Jews to this day celebrate Passover, remember it, but you know it's also remembered in Christian churches. I was just um, teaching my my nine year old son and my eleven year old daughter about this, and they they finally clicked for them that oh Passover, yeah, because the angel of death passed over the houses that had the blood, and I taught them that this the most important thing which you just mentioned, which is the the symbology or the typology of why it was a lamb and why it was blood, and you know we we, we see this connected with. The point being that salvation means to be saved from death, meaning that 
you know, in, in this case, literally the spirit of death or the angel of death passed over those who had this type of Jesus Christ on their doorposts. So, you know, we know that Jesus was the ultimate and final sacrifice that took the place of the Mosaic laws regarding this atonement for sin. And then Romans 6.10 tells us regarding Jesus, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. So his death was sufficient for every sin that ever was and ever will be for all people willing to exercise faith by trusting Jesus for his offering at Calvary. Yeah, Jordan. Also, 1 Peter 3.18 supports this verse by saying, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, which we are. Before we accept Jesus as the one who died for our sins, we're, we're unjust according to God's eyes because we're sinners. And Hebrews 9.11-12 to 12 probably gives the most clear and excellent explanation on this subject when it says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So, Jordan, you know, here we see a depiction of how the events regarding the tabernacle in the Old Testament were just a type of the true event when Jesus paid for all sin with his own precious blood. Yeah, we can safely say, based on these verses, that people do not go to hell per se for their sin, but for not accepting the perfect sacrifice that paid for sin. Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Okay, so that's key number one. Key number two, a couple points. Believers should all agree that the Holy Spirit is gifted to Christians once they confess that they are sinners to God and then believe Jesus Christ died for their sins as the propitiation. So 1 John 2, 2 supports this, and it says, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Regarding Jesus being the only way for salvation from separation from God, the book of Acts 4, 12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Yes, you're making that point, but how does it tie into key two, which is that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, or that's sealed within the believer? I think we read some verses earlier that do that, Andy. So basically, Jordan, I just wanted to show with those verses that the key point here is that the Holy Spirit is only gifted to Christians and then sealed within a Christian after you kind of follow these scriptural guidelines, right? And this, what these verses do that I, that I kind of quoted was help a Christian understand if I am saved or not, right? So it's understanding that Jesus is the one who substituted himself for us. If you believe that, you're there. And then the next part is understanding that there is no other name under heaven given amongst men by which we, we must be saved. So it's the name of Jesus Christ. It's having faith in his work is, is critical for us to understand. It's after we get to that point via faith that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That brings us to key number three, which is that only believers can confess Jesus as Lord. Only believers call Jesus Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 gives us the gospel of grace and what's required to receive salvation and the sealing of the Holy Spirit. It says, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures. And then 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-17 are the famous verses that describe the rapture of the church, which are Christians sealed with the Holy Spirit, being taken up into heaven. And keeping in context with our study today, we must remember the last few verses of verse 17, which say, 
and so we shall always be with the Lord forever. Yeah, that's a good note, Jordan. So I think a lot of most Christians probably have read or studied these verses, and they're famously known as the verses that show us that the rapture will occur for the church. So I think a couple points like you mentioned that we always need to remember is that, number one, how God identifies us differently from everyone else in the world is that the Holy Spirit is sealed within us, correct? So, and then also we know in other verses in the Bible, in Thessalonians, that there's, and I'm going to allude to getting back to this point, that the Antichrist actually doesn't get revealed to the public, to the world, until he, the Holy Spirit, is taken off the earth. Now, it's when Jesus Christ actually and God the Father take the Holy Spirit off the earth, and how that is it's basically done is he takes people off the earth that believe in his son, that were gifted with the Holy Spirit, that are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So when people actually get pulled off in the rapture, the process is, if you could imagine as visually, it's Jesus Christ pulling the Holy Spirit off the earth, and we actually come along for the ride because he's sealed within us. Right. And then the main point, based on what you said, is very, very key because it kind of leads to what we're going to be talking about in the final point is that, you know, remember that we will always be with the Lord. So if after the rapture we go to the Bema Seat or the Judgment Seat of Christ, which is just for Christians, you know, there's that a consensus of, of Christians that believe, well, once I go to the Bema Seat, I might actually lose my salvation and get sent to hell from there. But that would contradict what this verse says here. This verse says here, you know, regardless of if you're, whether you're a good Christian or a bad Christian, a sinner or, or a, a righteous man, remember, you know, we shall always be with the Lord. So if we're always going to be with the Lord, that means that, look, wherever we're going, regardless of what our rank is or what our reward is going to be in heaven, we'll always have our salvation. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up because this is how you get into a lot of downstream problems. And I mean, I'll just call them what they are, heresies. You come up with yeah. these, people come up with these wild theories like split raptures and partial raptures and, and, you know, and, and or they make it figurative when it, sh- when it should be considered literally. And they have to do all those sort of mental gymnastics because of verses like the one that we just read, you know, which, which clearly states an unambiguous, all-encompassing statement, you know, how do you, well, then how do you fit that, and how do you shoehorn that into whatever, you know, sort of a, um, end times warped theology you have? Well, you got to make up all these, these things that are totally unsupported by Scripture. So let's just, let's just try to, you know, the, our method is always the same, you know, and, and we're willing to have any conversations anyone wants to have, whether on email or, or on, by the phone about these things, but ultimately we're going to take you back to Scripture, and we're going to say the Scripture says that, or Absolutely. it doesn't say that. Let's not, let's not make up narratives and, and hypotheses and theories that have no scriptural support. So here we see clear evidence that there is no split rapture, you know, we're, we're all taken up together as the Holy Spirit is raptured off the earth, and we're going to stay with Jesus Christ forever, so there can't be a condemnation after that Correct. Period. And instead of us judging each other and trying to determine who's getting raptured and who isn't, we need to look at the facts of what Scripture tells us. Right. You know, God has a plan. His plan needs to unfold, you know, and it's and he's going to let judgment be in his hands based on righteousness, based on the lives that we lived to determine, you know, what's going to happen to us. But the bottom line is Jesus died once for all. And once you accept Jesus, you know, Jesus owns you forever. And that, that's something key to, to remember. So and then now let's go to really quick. We'll go to key key number four. And I'll open up with Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And these are foundational verses which clearly support the truth that a Christian's faith is purely a gift of God. And it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And here's a key point. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
So we see here that salvation is simply faith plus nothing. Right. Faith plus nothing, which basically means no works on our part are attached to what Jesus did. And then Romans eleven twenty nine, it, it kind of you know it coincides with this, and it tells us that our salvation will never be taken away. And it says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, meaning that He won't take it back. Yeah, the calling in particular is a key word there. Finally, key five, you know, Jesus is speaking specifically to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, which were at a higher uh, level of learning. They're a higher learned group of Christians that were looking to attain an intimate relationship with the Lord. And that's what's important to understand about the Sermon on the Mount. It was, it was given to that higher group. And then we get to 721, where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, one to the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. It's important to understand the people that he is speaking to and about are Christians because they are calling him their Lord. And this is a principle, a key from earlier, that only people who are saved can call Jesus Christ Lord. Correct. However, he's not saying they'll be rejected from heaven where Christians will enjoy everlasting life. That would contradict the verses we've read and everything we've been saying up to this point. He is specifically saying not everyone who calls him Lord, not everyone who is saved, will be allowed to enter the kingdom of heaven. Enter being the key word, Andy. So Jesus says that those who do the will of his Father those people will enter. And again, notice there's works there, right? Therefore, we can safely say entrance into the kingdom of heaven must be earned. Yeah. So, I mean, let's let's briefly talk a little bit about that, Jordan. Um, what are some of the differences for our listeners to know between, you know, what it takes to qualify for heaven versus the kingdom of heaven? Because some of our listeners, this might be the first time they've ever heard this, but believe me when, when we tell you, it's throughout the Bible. Knowing the difference is key to understanding and discerning the Bible. Yeah, so you, you brought up a couple key, key words, I guess. You know, there's a difference between heaven and the kingdom of heaven. Most people don't understand that. They conflate the two. But of course, you know, we, we have a whole episode and series on this, but those two things are not the same. You know, heaven is obviously the third heaven, the, the general dwelling place of God and, and the angels. And the kingdom of heaven is a different earthly thing that will happen in the future the thousand-year kingdom, it's sometimes called the millennial kingdom. So if you don't make that distinction to start, you're going to get confused. And then also, I mean, I think the simplest way to put it, and we put it this way all the time because it is easy to understand it, it's the difference between the gift and the prize. Correct. And the Bible uses both of those words, and that's really the, the easiest way to remember it, right? The, a gift is free. A gift you do nothing to earn. A gift is given to you, you know, completely, not through any works of your own. Here's a gift. You accept the gift. The prize is earned, you know, and the Apostle Paul uses the analogy of running in Olympic Games. That's essentially the, the best analogy to think of because if you don't, first of all, even get into the Olympics is a huge achievement of works. And then to win the race, you know, and get the prize or the laurel or the, you know, the medallion or whatever we got, that uh, whatever we get today, that, um, th- that speaks of a, a whole lot of works. So unless you understand when the Bible's talking about the free gift of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ, and something that you're earning enters into the kingdom, the prize, then you're, you're not, you're not going to even begin to understand the Bible correctly, which, which again, is why we get into all these kind of weird narratives and, and um, you know, ultimately heresies and stuff like that. People are trying to make verses fit, and they're not fitting square pegs and round holes, yeah. so they kind of just make up their own theories of, of the Bible. All excellent points. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Don't forget to visit our website at 20mbs.org. That's 20mbs, as in Minute Bible Studies, dot O-R-G. 
Our website also has a free archive of all lessons, links to our Facebook account and discussion forums. You can sign up to receive emails when we upload a new Bible study, all kinds of good things. So be sure to visit us at 20mbs.org. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.